0: Fat is Jango Fat minus Boba Fett but that's I think reasonable people can reasonably disagree on that issue that's, that's here's a
1: generational the, thing I mean right, Jango Fett is like what if we took Boba Fett and made him just even more awesome by expanding his character and of course the kids my son was Jango Fett for Halloween last year
0: right. his argument is that he likes that he has two guns
1: <laughs> no, can't argue you know, with that really
0: would you rather have two guns but I think they're kind of not cool yeah. looking guns or one really cool looking gun I'm, a, I'm more of a one cool looking gun type guy like
1: you know just wait
2: the incomparable podcast episode 8 October 2010 with Jason Snell Dan Lauren, and special guest John Gruber You know
1: the funny thing is, I I asked you guys here today to talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, and while we were waiting to start recording, John was pointing out that his son is watching The Last Crusade downstairs as we speak. Which which
2: I would put second in the in the list, perhaps, but oh, really okay. Maybe that's me.
1: I know you love that one. I actually thought you might have put it first, but you put it second.
2: It's a, it's a close one, but I think you know Raiders is probably the the superior, technically superior of the films.
1: I. I love Raiders. I was really sad when it came out on DVD and they wanted you to for- force you to buy all three movies together because to me, Raiders is just so much better than the other two. And I like, I think the third one, I think i think Last Crusade is is good. But Raiders, There's some, maybe there's something about it. I, I don't know. Every time I go back and try to look at them, though, I still think that, that the first one is the best one.
0: My son is six and he, he got on a big... Indiana Jones kick, I don't know, about two years ago, a year ago, whenever we first started watching them. And, and, you know, probably honestly, you know, in the book of good parenting, probably too young to be watching them. But, and I watched them a lot when I was younger too. Um, But having watched them again and many, many times and just even just up through osmosis by having a kid on Saturday afternoon, watching it again and again and again, just, you know, I'm not even watching it with them every time, but I've seen them a lot recently, all of them. And it just—it's it, just one of those things where my my longtime feeling it just is reiterated every time that Raiders to me it stands apart. It's not even—it's not that the the other ones aren't good, but they're not even the same type of movie. Because I think all the ones after, I think the other three Temple of Doom and definitely Last Crusade and and the 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 goofy one, the Crystal Skull. They are Indiana Jones movies. You know, there's like a formula and he's Indiana Jones and it's like making a James Bond movie. Whereas Raiders, it wasn't, it was like they didn't even know what an Indiana Jones movie is.
2: Which is interesting too, because when they did re-release them on DVD, they changed the title. Because it used to be, when it came out, it was just Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then it's now, if you look, I think it's officially Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark to like, to fit. labeling. Yeah, to fit on the labeling. Yeah, but I just went and just go look on Netflix because I just did a minute ago, and it will not come up if you just search for... I typed in Raiders, and I couldn't find it, and I went, huh, and I typed in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and the autocomplete was Indiana Jones and the Raiders uh, of the Lost Ark.
1: At least they didn't retouch the credits. They The credits still are that old, you know, kind of like Re- Old Republic serial credits that just say Raiders in big letters of the Lost Ark. They didn't sort of retcon the... Uh, the title in the film itself, but all the packaging they did.
0: And uh, you know, I don't know. There's like a, I don't. There's like a certain visceralness to it that it isn't in the other ones because the other ones are Indiana Jones movies. I'm going to steal this from from our friend John Syracuse, who I think mentioned this at some point when I was tweeting or something about Raiders before. That one of the differences, and, and I'm definitely stealing this from him, is that because the other ones are Indiana Jones movies, you know that Indiana Jones isn't going to die. Whereas Raiders, that's it's not even clear. Like you know it if you've, you know, watched them all twenty times, you know that. But like the first time you saw it, there wasn't even a certainty that he was gonna make it out of it. You know, that it was the beginning of a franchise. You know, it didn't feel like it. It was just a movie about this guy on a crazy adventure.
1: Well, and the way it starts, you know, he's he's a mystery at the beginning, right? I mean, for the first five minutes, three minutes of the movie, you just see him in shadow and or just his back or just the back of his head or just his hand with the whip and it's it's only three or four minutes in when he steps out of the shadows and into the light that you're like aha it's Harrison Ford and you know it's not one of those portrayals of like here's our hero you know him you love him it's this who's this guy you know is he is he bad <laughs> he's kind of he's kind of menacing and quiet and then you meet him as opposed to in the other movies I
2: think it's just like hey there he is it's our buddy well I mean in, in the sense you know the other two movies three if you will um, are all forced to live up to that first one too right I mean like John says it's you know it became sort of a formula at that point well how do we emulate this movie that was so great and it's well you know let's try to follow some of the things that we did in the first one but they're, they're never quite going to live up to to the original source material as it were
1: well the the Last Crusade is the most obvious attempt to replay Raiders, right? I mean, the second one is to be credited for trying to be different. The third one, it's like, well, okay, we're going to go back to the Nazis and we're going to have a religious artifact.
2: (laughs) Right. And I think it's salvaged mainly by by the fact that the, the Sean Connery Harrison Ford relationship is just fantastic. But yes, it does go back to the same well, if you will. And it's full of snakes that well. There's a bunch of things though about Raiders
0: that I mean, I'm, and I'll, I'll even go this far, and I've said this in, I say this to people, and I, you know, I'm a fan of of all sorts of movies. I'm, a, you know, love serious serious movies in addition to to you know sci-fi and adventure type stuff. Honestly, I mean this totally. Straightforward. That I think Raiders is the best movie Steven Spielberg's ever made. I think it's one of the it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Not just in in terms of action and stuff. I w- I would hold it up there as one of the easily top ten movies ever made. Maybe top five. I, re- I it, technically it's just so well done. It's so well paced. It's it is original in ways that I, I, everything. I mean, you know, the opening, the just I, I can't say enough good things about it.
1: I was watching it this weekend and in, in preparation, semi-preparation for this. And I was reminded actually – a couple of things. I was reminded that Roger Ebert writes about how uh, before he lost his voice, he would he would do these um, sessions with Citizen Kane in front of a group where he would um, – they would pause it. Anybody could just shout pause at any time and they would look at, at the frame and talk about it. And I thought – I actually think Raiders could withstand that level of scrutiny. Yeah. As, as I was watching it, I was thinking, you know – even every the economy of it every shot every line of dialogue has a reason for being there some of it really not obvious at the time and 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 doesn't feel obvious, but everything you see—the reason the, the monkey is there, um, the conversations that Marion has when she's closing up the bar, the drinking—the drinking scene, which seems to just be about her character—until you see her do it again in the desert with Belloc. There's so much there that is just perfectly. Every shot is there for a reason, and you could really take it apart. And the other the other thought I had while I was watching it is, it's old enough now because it was made in what 1981. Yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, 1980. It, it's old enough now that it feels like a classic movie. And instead of it being of its time, I look at it now and I think, I feel about this movie, like I feel about Lawrence of Arabia, except I actually like this movie more than Lawrence of Arabia. So I I think you're right. I I, I would say it is one of the best movies. And, and it might be Spielberg's best. It doesn't have a lot of Spielberg. He's got a lot of things that he does that are kind of kind of sappy um, and kind of overplayed. And there are a few of those things in here. I think at one point, the, the monkey actually goes, oh which is just like, come on. But generally, I think you're right.
0: Yeah, and and that whole class of filmmakers, those, you know, the Lucas, Spielberg, Coppola, you know, that whole 70s generation went through this whole thing. And it was fantastic what they did, I, I think. I mean, it's, you know, everybody realizes the 70s were, were a fantastic decade for movies. And I think Raiders is a little bit more like one of those 70s movies than the 80s. You know, I think it feels a little bit more like something from the end of the Came out a couple of years after, but it was like of that. You know, it was it was to this genre what Star Wars was to science fiction. You know,
1: well, and I think about the Godfather, right? Is, what the Godfather, know, did. a monster movie, right? And yet, it's got all this praise,
0: right? So, what those guys did is they took these genres that were typically schlocky, but they loved them and yeah. had good things about them. And so, what if we did them straight, yeah. right? What if we and what if we with good production values and we cast you know the best actors in the world you know, Marlon Brando in a gangster movie, Alec Guinness as, as the, the, you know, the wizard in uh, Star Wars and play it straight, do all these things and do these, you know, these things that typically would look terrible, real goofy action, you know, bad, bad special effects on a sound stage. Let's do it straight. And it really stands out. Whereas all the other ones, I think, you know, they come across as doing an Indiana Jones movie.
2: Well, I mean, there's a cert- there's also a certain, I mean, I guess for lack of a better term, tonal consistency to Raiders that I think is lacking from the other ones. And I think, Jason, your point about like the monkey, like there's, uh, there's a lot less. I, mean, I think a lot of people who deride Last Crusade, especially, focus on a couple specific things, uh, such as making some of the characters into caricatures, specifically Sala and um, Marcus, who both are uh, in the fir- in Raiders, you know, are both very. You know, serious presences yeah. and, right. and great right. characters, and then it, in in Last Crusade they become the comic relief, especially and, Marcus. Yeah, especially it's, Marcus.
0: It's, it's terrible what they did to that character.
2: But I mean, and I and I can definitely see that, and in some way that, that Raiders, you know, can get Raiders has genuinely funny moments without rely, relying on. Things that are, you know, bumbling comedy, you know, for example, I mean, one of the best scenes of all time in that movie and of course in a movie full of great scenes is the scene where, you know, Indy's chasing uh, Marion through the marketplace when she's in the basket and the ca- the crowds part and the guy comes out with the sword and, you know, does this cool like flipping his sword around or whatever and, and Indy looks at him for a minute and then pulls out his gun and shoots him. And it's just such a—it's a great moment of, of sort of you know kind of darkish comedy, but it's not—it doesn't sort of fall back on on cheap tropes. It's unexpected, which is what makes it so funny, right? Doesn't seem implausible. Seems like actually, no. why not? It's actually yeah, just like sort why? Of that. That's
0: the question. Why wouldn't you just shoot the right? Guy, right? Exactly. You know the backstory behind that, right?
2: Yeah, that's he got right. sick, right? And he couldn't yeah, do yeah, the terrible diarrhea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so then they did it. There's a reference to it in Temple of Doom. They sort of do a callback to that. Because there's a minute where he you know goes for his gun to shoot right. a guy and he doesn't have it, so he does he you know, whips the sword out of his hand or whatever.
0: Yeah, there's the the only the only moment in the whole Raiders that I think is off. There's one the 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 monkey stuff I I think maybe stretches it but doesn't go over. The only thing that I think is off is the scene on the boat where Marion flips the mirror around and hits him on the chin, and it cuts to outside. It it, it isn't even cut well. It like cuts to outside the boat and. Indiana Jones screams in pain and she just goes, what? Like, she doesn't know what happened. Like, if you, it doesn't even make any sense. Like, if you swung a mirror like that and hit somebody, you'd know you hit them. You'd feel it, you know, on the mirror. I, it's the only moment in the whole thing that, that feels off to me.
2: What'd you say?
1: Well, it's like they needed a, uh, a comic relief beat because they were really smacked between two sections of the movie. And that's supposed right. to be your romantic moment with Marion and Indy before the the final act kicks in. But the mirror hitting him in the chin isn't necessary.
2: Slapsticky. Yeah, it is it, a necessary. little slapsticky. I love it, though. I, there, there's something about that scene that, that I think is... I mean, yes, the 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 sort of reaction never quite made sense, but at the same time, I love that. Right. The scene is good, though. I love that right. bit. Yeah.
1: There's a scene early on that I really appreciated in watching this movie again uh, you talk about taking this movie and playing it straight. These genre pictures like The Godfather and Star Wars and and Raiders. And I love a scene. Actually, if you talk about broad comedy, the scene where where we cut from uh, the jungle to the college and Indy is giving his lecture and there's the girl. And this is supposed to be the '30s. And there's the girl with "I love you" written on her eyelids, which I thought yeah, I don't know if that 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 seems kind of wacky for for um, the '30s. But anyway. The scene where he gets called by Marcus into the library, basically, uh, because the FBI men are there asking about this Nazi telegram that mentions Abner Ra- uh, Ravenwood, and as they're discussing Tanis, they keep dropping all these bombs that that we don't understand what they mean, and it's Tanis and Ravenwood and Lost Ark. If you watch that scene and you look at just look at Harrison Ford and Denham Elliot looking at each other as these guys are reading this dialogue. It's amazing, because they are, they are basically underlining all the things that are important in that scene with um, just their eyes glancing at each other, because you know that these two guys, and you get the sense immediately, these guys really know what they're doing.
2: Tannis Development
1: Proceeding.
2: Acquire Headpiece Staff of Ra, Abner Ravenwood, U.S. Nazis have discovered Tannis. So what does that mean to you, uh, Tannis? Well, well, the city of tennis man. is one of the possible resting places of the Lost Ark. The Lost Ark? Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, the chest
0: the Hebrews used to carry around the Ten Commandments. The, what, do you, what do you mean, Ten, Ten Commandments? The... You're talking about the Ten Commandments?
2: Yes, the actual Ten Commandments, the original stone tablets that Moses brought down out of Mount have and smashed, if you believe in that sort of thing. Did you guys ever go to Sunday school? However, an Egyptian Pharaoh Shisha. yes invaded the city of Jerusalem around about 980 BC and he may have taken the ark back to the city of Tanis and
0: hidden it in a secret chamber called the Well of Souls secret chamber however, about a year after the Pharaoh had returned to Egypt, the city of Tanis was consumed by the desert in a sandstorm that lasted a whole year
2: wiped clean by the wrath of God. Uh, obviously, we've come to the right men I, I would argue that might be the best plot explication scene ever. I know they're to un- yeah.
1: they're rolling out that entire plot with all that backstory, and it, it's gripping, and one of the reasons I think it is is just because Harrison Ford and Denham Elliot are looking at each other and you you realize you're not just watching a download here, you're watching really smart people understand what's important in the download.
0: All right, and the whole thing, and it play it also, yeah. It's great acting, you know. It's a great cast, great, great scene. It's even in a beautiful room, just that big, big, huge. like
1: know, up on a stage. Yeah, like yeah. A, it's
0: like a giant lecture hall <laughs> yeah. or something. Doesn't really make any sense that they'd have the meeting there, but it's great. And, and then <laughs> there's the there's a blackboard though, and you can use it to diagram it. And you kind of it also gives you a better feeling for Indiana Jones as a professor because instead of being in the middle of some boring. Lecture, he's not really even into. All of a sudden, this is when he's really into it. You know, yeah, and he's, this is his
2: research, right?
0: right. Like, and we're his class. We, the audience, get to be his class, and he's telling us exactly what we need to know. It is. It's. It's a great explanation, and it's sort of like that the old uh, adage about how to give a presentation: tell people what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them.
1: Indian Marcus, they interrupt each other, yeah. um, and and talk over each other, and finish each other's sentences, and it's done in a way that. Brilliantly, by I I guess I should say by Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote the screenplay, and and then and by the actors in performing the scene, you are informed about their entire relationship. Uh, really in that scene based on what they do that, you know, Marcus knows as much as Indy does. Indy's very uh, enthusiastic. Marcus is happy to let him because he's back at the college now and Indy is roaming around. He's happy to let him finish and tell the story because he's so enthusiastic about it. It says so much about those characters just in the way they interact. And something else I noticed about it is it sets up Indy as as a non believer, because this is a movie about a religious hmm. artifact, and uh, at several points the the government men talk about it um, and talk about the Ten Commandments, and Indy says if you believe that sort of thing, and it's very clear from the stuff that he says sort of throughout throughout the movie, um, even leading up to the to the end where the wrath of God is made manifest is that Indy doesn't really believe in that stuff. He's sort of in it because the stuff is old and, um, and valuable and cool and not because of the religious significance. It sort of doesn't mean anything to him, which is interesting given what ends up happening. And it's
0: also good. It's, you know, it's part, part screenplay, part acting, part, direction it's all of it all the way that movies are all those things combined is the way that their conversation between each other with the interrupting is clearly that they are both experts and they respect each other right and when they're talking to each other they're not really they know that they're talking over the other two guys heads and when they talk to the government (laughs) guys they're they're talking down to them not necessarily dismissively but we know you guys are idiots but that's helpful to us the audience because we're the we don't know this stuff either the other thing too about that scene is i have always thought that it, it just – the whole thing seems totally credible like, like duh, didn't you ever learn this in, in Bible school that, you know, the headpiece to the staff of Ra and, and all this stuff. It all seemed you – know, you know the Ark of the Covenant is an actual uh, biblical artifact. But then all the other stuff, to me, it all, all seems totally real. Like, it gets like, you to
1: buy into the entire premise.
0: Right, that somebody ought to be able to actually do this. Somebody, if, if somebody actually discovered uh, Tanis, they, uh, they should be able to find the map room. And, and if they had the headpiece to the Staff of Ra, they could, uh, they could find the Ark of the Covenant.
2: And, and, you know, the elements that are there of the supernatural, I think, are so well played in terms of being, at least up until the very last scene, they're very subtle. And I think that's yeah. You know, prior to the very last scene, I think the only indication you get is that one scene of the arc on the in the in the hold of the boat um, where with the rat. Where it's like right. throbbing or whatever, and you see the rap like getting pushed away, and then they see the Nazi symbol like burned off of it later. Right. But other than that, that's just these little touches that, like, it's still not. I mean, that's the part where you start thinking, okay, this is, you know, a little bit more out there. But up until that point, everything does seem very, we're, we like indie are very, oh, this is just, you know, an, a valuable artifact that, that we'd like to have.
0: That's very and I agree and it's part of the story it's part of what makes it great and, and there yeah it gives it a sort of why are they even why are they even going through all this for you know it is it is a cool artifact. Is it worth it to go through all this?
1: There is another scene where um, Belloc is uh, I guess romancing romancing Marion in the tent where he talks about the arc as an artifact. And I was I was tuned into it because then all of a sudden he sort of like shift gears and starts to say, oh, and no army can be defeated if it's got the Ark in front of it because it's got the power of God, which always seemed very strange to me because uh, other than that scene, Belloc seems to be completely mercenary. Although, you know, I guess at the end what it's revealed is that he, too, has this hope that it's religiously powerful, but only because he can use it for his own purposes. So he, he's sort of more of a believer than Indy, but much more cynical about
2: it than Indy is. Well, he's very advantageous, too. I mean, we see that in the very first scene with him, too, right, where he gets the idol— And he takes it, and he uses it to basically tell all the 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 natives, yeah, to go after, to go after Indy. And so I think there's clearly an idea that like Indy's kind of in this for you know knowledge for for his own sort of curiosity, whereas Belloc is really interested in in getting power. And I think that I mean it's again it's kind of subtle, but it sets up Belloc's character perfectly. Like when we see him in that last scene, why is he doing this? Well, we can kind of understand that, like because you know we've sort of seen his behavior in this in this example before. There's a great scene between Belloc and Indy
1: that when they're in the, in the uh, they're in the cafe in Cairo. Yeah. And um, right before, and and Indy thinks Marion's dead, and he's been drinking, and he's basically oh, gonna crazy. end it. <laughs> he's like willing to go out and a hail a gunfire. And what I what struck me about it in watching it again is that um, it could have been written so badly, and it isn't. Bellocq is your your typical sort of villain speech of we are so alike, you and I, Indy, and it would take very little to make you like me. And the 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 wrong way to write that scene is to have it be, No oh, I'll never be like you, and you don't understand, and you and I are very much alike. Archaeology
0: is our religion. Yet we have both fallen from the pure faith. Our methods have not differed as much as you pretend. I am a shadowy reflection of you. It will take only a nudge to make you like me, to push you out of the light. Now you're getting nasty. You know it's true. How nice. Look at this. It's worthless ten dollars from a vendor in the street but i take it and bury it in the sand for a thousand years it becomes priceless like the ark men will kill for it men like you and me i think though i think though that part of it too and i agree that the, you know and and it happened hundreds of movies before and hundreds after the the you know we're not that you know we're we're two sides of the same coin speech from the bad guy to the good guy i think it's cool in that one though because it act, i think it actually is sort of true
1: <laughs> well there's you know? that too right that he doesn't he doesn't respond and he doesn't deny it Right, um, it
0: actually is true cuz and that's one of the things, you know, in a lot of these movies of of that, genre, you know, Star Wars is one of them too. Um, well, yeah, absolutely. But where there's multiple bad guys. It's not just one doctor evil guy at the head and and a bunch of, you know, nameless stormtroopers underneath. There's a couple of bad guys. So you've got Todd, you know, the Nazi with the burned hand who's sort of the boogeyman bad guy. Like there's right. r- really just irredeemable. I mean, he's just sort of like an evil evil guy who's, you know, w- willing to burn people's faces and, and stuff.
1: Right. Belloc uh, will buy you some wine and and uh, make you wear evil. a pretty dress.
0: Well, and and then he's then. he's, yeah. he's sleazy. He's yeah. sleazy, not well, evil. He's unscrupulous, but he's not yeah. evil, right? And he's obsessed most with getting these artifacts. And that's tr- sort of Indiana Jones's thing, too, is he's just in it to get the artifacts. You know, and like you said, he's not really a believer He doesn't really care. It doesn't even really – it never really seems to even cross his mind about what if the arc really is what legend says that it is. He just wants it.
1: In fact, they ask, you know, you're going to give it to Hitler. And he's like, well, eventually. But (laughs) like he's going to take it for himself. And Hitler, you know, I'll deal with Hitler later.
2: What about your boss, Der Fuhrer? I thought he was waiting to take possession. All in good time. When I'm finished with And I love that Indy is willing I mean like not only he not only are they not that different in some ways, but you know, Indy's response in that in that scene in the cafe is basically like I am going to kill you and and you know, they're gonna kill me, so let's just do this, right? Like that's not exactly what you expect your good guy to do, right? Like I mean and I love that line. That that line about you know, he says Jones, do you realize
0: what the arc is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God, and it's within my reach.
2: You want to talk to God? Let's go see him together. I've got nothing better.
0: Can come back home now? i
2: It's just—I just love the way he drives that home. Like, you know what? I got—I have nothing left. You know, you've basically taken away everything. So.
0: I don't have it handy. I, I should have probably, but somebody could probably Google it. I don't know. I don't even remember who wrote it, but somebody wrote a weblog post. I think it was in the last two years. might've been Stu Motchwitz who writes uh, a good filmmaking weblog. Just analyzing that scene and the editing, the camera angles and, and when they cut and what you see of that cafe where, where, you know, Indy thinks Marion's dead and, and he meets Belloc and he's rescued by Solace kids. And it is, it's, you know, and he just goes through shot by, you know, like, like, sort of like what Ebert says, going, you can just go through shot by shot and it's just one setup after another and it's just perfect.
1: The next, the next scene after that. There are no
0: throwaway, that's one of the things about Raiders, there's no throwaway scenes. Every scene has something that you can talk about.
1: Yeah, it's true. I actually noticed something when I was watching it, um, I watched some of it on the bus coming into work this morning that, um, there are these scenes that, that scene is set up by the scenes of the, um. The guys, the sort of Nazis in their suits um, blocking some alleyways that leads to the whole basket chase and all of that. Right. And, you know, there aren't very many of them. And it's sort of unclear. Th- there's not a lot of detail about who they are. It doesn't really matter. You know that there's a guy with the eye patch and there are the Nazis in the suits. And then they're, they're walking down a corridor. And you know that essentially it's going to corner Indian Marion and lead into this entire Section of the movie, and it's it's so economical, and uh, it's all it's all necessary stuff to drive it along, and uh, and the scene where the where where Sala is sort of cheering Indy up and and explaining about the uh, the headpiece where the monkey is is eating the poison dates and dying, that scene is has a lot of amazing shots in it, including that last scene, which is almost like the Requiem for the monkey, which is shot from above the right. ceiling, looking through the fan yeah. down to the dead monkey with its hand open and the date on the floor. It's like, you know, that scene isn't so vital that it needed an, an amazing piece of, of setup, and yet it's amazing anyway. It didn't need to be amazing, but it is. It's just a monkey, right? Every
0: but. scene stands as like a little short film. It's great.
1: I uh, wanted to bring up Karen Allen. Uh, yeah. Cuz one of the things that's really interesting about the next two movies and and of course they ended up bringing her back for the for the Crystal Skull um is the next two movies I feel like and I think there was I think there was a falling out or something where they where she wanted more money or they
2: Yeah, this famously she and Spielberg I think didn't get along or something.
1: Yeah. Because boy, those next two movies seem desperate to try and find a way to replace her, <laughs> and I don't think they do. I think they right. fail, and I think that they're weaker in some ways, specifically because Marion isn't in. The I movies. think you're right; yeah. she's
2: so great. But, but at the same time, yeah, they can't find a worthy foil, right? So in, in Temple of Doom, we have Kate Capshaw, uh, which who is probably stands alone as one of the worst. Just I, the, she is just terrible in that movie, which is which is unfortunate. But I, I always thought Last Crusade did a fascinating twist on that, which is in that you have the the character of Ilsa who who turns out, of course, to be evil and, in fact, dies at the end of the film, which is kind <laughs> of just this fascinating, like, you know, it's like, you know, I, John referenced the Bond movies earlier, and Bond movies kind of usually have this formula of there's usually the bad woman, the good woman, and then the woman that's really kind of insignificant. Um, and I thought it was just, it was such a fascinating uh, setup to have this woman who you kind of think of she'll get redeemed, right? Because she, she gives Indy up to the Nazis uh, as well as his dad. Um, And in the end, she really doesn't and kind of only serves as like a a character lesson for Indy uh, in terms of, you know, not, not getting obsessed, but you're, you're right that, that, that Karen Allen, I think is sort Marion is the de facto, uh, you know, she's, I I don't know if you want to say soulmate, but like, I think that's the idea of bringing her back in the fourth one uh, was they had a rapport and a chemistry that, that was totally unmatched by anything that we saw. And
0: it was a really original thinking and casting. I mean, I think it's half half Princess Leia and then half making it even better. So with with Princess Leia, you've got this character who is sarcastic, sassy, uses a gun. You know, now, now on the other hand, though, she's still a princess. You know, I still think that's sort of, in hindsight, sort of a goofy thing, you know, that... You know, you got to rescue the princess. It's like a little, a little corny. But you know, the way the the Carrie Fisher character is not what you think of as a sci fi princess at all. At least pre Star Wars.
1: No, if he, if if Lucas did that movie now, she would have been like the undersecretary for agriculture <laughs> for all the long. <laughs>
2: Right, yeah, but, but she still, she, uh, she gives was, as good as she gets, right? You know, she right. she keeps up exactly. with the guys, right? She's, she's not a, she's a,
1: tough, but she's not quite as much of a tough chick as Karen Allen is. But she's right, yeah.
0: Karen Allen. Has the same, you know, the the. She's not demure, you know. She's not a shrinking violet. She's not there to be rescued now. And and then, exa- you know, think think exactly like um, what's her name in Temple of Doom? Kate,
2: Kate Capshaw.
0: Kate Capshaw. Right, Kate Capshaw. Where Kate Capshaw is. You know, is, that to me is actually the obvious way to do it, where you've got this woman who's completely helpless. And, and I know that they played it for comedy and, and, you know, that she couldn't do anything and she was worried about breaking her nails and she had to stick her hand in the bugs and all this stuff and she was scared of all this. Um, but that's the, the, the more obvious way to do it, you know, that, that the the woman is real girly and needs to be rescued and you know, the man is the guy who does everything. And Karen Allen is total opposite. And then you take it to the other where instead of being a princess, she's she's really in desperate straits at the beginning of the movie. She's living in Nepal uh, running a bar, running a bar, making
1: her money by um, having a drinking contest. Right,
0: like a, <laughs> she's in a dirty ball bar in Nepal. She doesn't have enough money to get back to the United States, and and you know has you know severe. Well, and drinking.
1: she's drink she's drinking big guys under the table right. too. Which I mean, what a, what a, a welcome for your heroin, right? <laughs> right, right, and just you know, and just the whole way that I. It,
0: honestly it's probably my favorite scene in the whole i don't know it's hard for me to even pick a favorite scene i love the movie so much but the one that i can recite every line from is is tot coming Totten is his henchman coming into the bar good evening fraulein the bar is closed we are we are
2: not thirsty what do you want the same thing your friend dr jones wanted surely he told you there would be other interested parties must have slipped his mind the man is nefarious i hope for your sake he has not yet acquired it why are you willing to offer more oh almost
0: certainly do you still have it? But she's so, you know, it, it is not, it, it, you know, who, 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 who was the woman like that in a movie before? You know, it's like nobody. I mean, there were tough women. Now, there were some great characters played in the old noir movies, which clearly Raiders was drawing from. Raiders Absolutely. drew not just from the serials, but it drew from those noir movies, you know, with, um, Bogart and Bacall. I mean there's definitely a lot of Lauren Bacall and, oh, and Marion. But those those movies from like the 40s and 50s they were they were you know they couldn't they couldn't push it that far in terms of what could a woman do.
1: Well couldn't that scene in the bar with Indy and and Karen Allen uh be Bogart and Bacall? Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean isn't you know, that
2: Practically the model. It's right out oh, of To yeah. Have and Have Not,
1: and you know,
0: and even the way it's lit, and it now it's color, not black and white, but it's it's almost monochrome with those real warm tones. From, you know, where all the light is from actual like fire, like a fireplace and lit right. candles, well, and, and it's
1: stuff. all and it's all shadows, and there's shadows right. throughout this movie. I mean, it's one, it's like look for the shadows the next time you watch it. It's it's hilarious. Right. This movie is all shadows, right. but in that scene, that's where the shadows are the most obvious indie shadow when he walks oh, in yeah. during the gunfight you've seen people shot with in shadow just their silhouette is yeah. getting shot it's just amazing I'm, the lighting in there
0: i'm not even i'm not really a great visualizer of things just close my eyes and imagine what it would look like but i i can you can actually it's easy you can just imagine that scene in black and white you oh know, yeah like a you know 1940s style with noir. Bogart. right that's my favorite scene and it's because it's the one and it's it, it they do such a good job with the introductions of all the characters, you know, like you said like at the very beginning of the movie when you're introduced to Indiana Jones and it's this long mysterious tease. Well, here's your introduction to Marion. First the drinking contest, then, you know, the Nazis come together and she's not afraid. She's not afraid until they've actually got a red hot poker about to uh, scar her face up. And it's such a great introduction, but it, she's just she's just not what you expect as the heroine in an action movie. Absolutely not. And even casting-wise, she's she doesn't look like you know, it's not, it's not that she's. It's not that she's not an attractive woman, but she's not like a bombshell. She's not what whoever that woman is who played Ilsa in in the third movie.
2: Poor Al- Allison Duty, who never who never really did anything else.
0: <laughs> right, you know, she just doesn't even look the part.
2: You know? Another way that they subvert the whole um,
1: the whole heroine uh, hero relationship is you mentioned, you know, she's not your usual kind of heroine where you've got to rescue her and all of that. But there is in fact the scene in the desert where Indy comes into the tent, discovers she's alive, <laughs> it's great and he's there to rescue her. And, then, and again he doesn't rescue her. Right. He ties her back up. Thinks, thinks <laughs> better right. of it, ties her back up, or doesn't t- puts his blade away, puts the gag back on her and says, I'll see you later and leaves her and then of course she's almost uh, you know, tortured again. All right after that so which is it's just amazing it's like what am i watching here the hero has found the found the girl he can rescue her and he's like mm, but this that, that, that fits so well
2: now. with the whole the whole thing with with indie right is that even though he's set up to be our hero think about like you know if you look at his track record right like in the movie he doesn't do such a good job right <laughs> he makes it all the way through the damn temple and then you know belloc takes the thing away from him he's scared of the snake in the cockpit you know, like he's constantly doing these things, which are probably not like you know they're realistic. They crack but. the
1: well of souls. They crack the well of souls. It's this great moment where it's like, we, ha ha, we've got Hitler. And now. then he gets
2: and caught. he looks down. And
1: he's like, oh well, no, but oh, the, but the first gets, scene when they open it oh, up, the, and the, the 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 yeah, the mist comes out, and it's like the, the this hasn't
2: been opened since
1: biblical times. And he looks down, and he's like, oh, snakes, <laughs> right? It's like complete. But I mean, and I think this is again about
2: like the scene. Um, another great scene, I think, is that scene where he has the boxing match. With the big, huge German guy, well, the and he gets p- crap, right? Out of time, which he does frequently, you know. Right? And he kind of like you see him going into it, like sighing, like, "Oh man, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna win this one." And he punches the guy right, like once, and it's like hurts his hand, you know. And I mean, I think in some ways he's kind of, and the only the only other film character I can think who takes that level of abuse is like John McClane in the Die Hard movies, with the you know because we have this great like fifteen minute chase scene. Which is just a fantastically shot chasing where he's all, you know, jumping, running over the trucks and getting dragged behind the trucks and everything. And I, I mean, I think what's great is that, you know, he's he's kind of indestructible, yes, to that certain extent in the way that, that all good action heroes are. But... He doesn't – it's not all about him just, like, beating the crap out of everybody, right? Like, he gets – No, he shows the wear. Right. He, he, shows get, the yeah. he yeah. gets thrown he out searching. of the car. He gets punched by a bunch of Germans. He gets dragged behind the car for a while. I mean, he really – His hit points don't a, he, come back automatically. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, I love – and then okay. that, of course, is the setup for that great line in the scene with Marion. It's not the years. It's the mileage, which is just, you know, I think one of those – you know sums up Indiana Jones kind of in a nutshell –
0: I love Raiders so much more than the other movies and I just don't think that they really stand up that much. What, but there is some stuff that I like about them and I do think they sort of have like an interesting arc. One one interesting aspect of it is this angle that he doesn't get what he's – he never gets what he's actually after until Raiders. Because – and it's not obvious. It's only – you have to like read the actual uh, you know thing at the bottom the, at the beginning of the movie. But Temple of Doom is a prequel, not a sequel. Right, It takes right. place a year before Raiders. And he doesn't get um, – He doesn't end up with those stones either. You know, he never comes back with what he's looking for, uh, the main thing. I mean, I guess he could have kept the stones, but he gave it back to the the villagers or whatever. And then, uh, you know, he's in Raiders and he goes after that idol at the beginning and Belloc steals it. And then he doesn't get to keep the Ark. The government takes it away. But it's like that's that he went and got it for them, you know, that he kind of had it. I mean, he didn't get to keep it, but they got It's like what redeemed him. And then the next movie He doesn't get the
2: grail either. And then, yes, no, he does, the no, cross. no, no, he's no, no, no! It doesn't open with the grill. you the it cross at the beginning. The cross, yeah.
0: And then he, when he gets back home, and then and then he has this line where he says to Marcus, "I got it, Marcus. I got it." It's like now because of Raiders, he's a guy who gets the things he's after, right? And then the lesson of 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 that movie is supposed to be, you know, where he, where his dad says, "Let it go," you know, that there's it, you know, the lesson is there's some things that are more important than getting the the thing. I mean, presumably, if he hadn't listened to his father, he would have slipped and fallen into the crevice, too, by, by trying to reach that that grail that was like a fingertip away. But, uh, right. you know, but the, I, to me, the more telling part is that he got that cross he was after in the opening adventure, mm. you know, and he doesn't get the, the one that he, he doesn't get the diamond that he was after. He doesn't get the, the idol, doesn't get the ark. but now he gets the cross. So I, you know, that's interesting.
1: You mentioned the the he doesn't get the arc in the end, and the government gets it. And of course, there's the famous scene at the end with the uh, with the warehouse, which is one of my favorite things in any movie.
0: Maybe the best ending to any movie ever. Yeah. Um, it's it's it's, up a, there. it's just, it really is the best. It's, I mean, it's just unbelievably good.
1: Next time you watch it, though, look look at that again. This, we're going to come back to that scene with with um, Harrison Ford and Denham Elliott up on that stage talking to the government men at the beginning. Um, and I think it's actually right after the the government men leave, and they're they're toasting their success at 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 somebody's house. Indy's or 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 Marcus's, I'm not sure which. And there's a moment where Indy says, you know, and they said they said the university gets it, the museum gets it when they're done with it, the ark. And uh, one of the great moments, I think, really well played by uh, Denham Elliot, is he sort of makes some noise and goes. Of course, and I look at at that scene and I think, oh, he knows that there's no way the government's going to let them keep it, <laughs> and he's he's kind of lying to Indy. I think I think he's just sort of like stringing him along and saying, I don't want to break this guy's heart, but what are the chances that the government is really going to let us have it? And of course, they don't. At the end, it goes in the it goes in the box. It's being studied by top men. Top men. Yeah. Such a great ending. Uh, that the, your hero has succeeded ooh, and it, it top, acquired top the MacGuffin men. and. And then it gets put in a box to never be spotted again. Ex- until they make a fourth movie that has an entire scene set in the ha- ha- warehouse. Harrison Ford's
0: line reading on that is is so good. And when he, when he just says, "Who?" you done your country a great service. We thank you. And uh, we trust you found the settlement satisfactory. Well, the money's fine. The situation is totally unacceptable.
2: Well, gentlemen, I guess that just about wraps it up. Where is the Ark?
0: I thought we'd settled that. The Ark is somewhere very safe. From who? The Ark is a source of unspeakable power, and it has to be researched. And it will be, I assure you, Dr.
2: Brody, Dr. Jones. We have top men working on it right now. Who?
0: Top men. You know, and it's spoken by a guy who knows the top men. Yeah. Right? It's like if I'm right? if it's he not us, man. right? Like who you who right? is it? There's a certainty to that 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 only a guy who actually is a top man could have. Who?
1: Top
2: men. It's it's just I mean, I, I and I think about that, I was thinking about that earlier, um, in terms of just overall from the first, and we talked to, you know, we we mentioned several times there are no superfluous shots in this movie. But I really think from the first shot, you know, as the Paramount logo basically gets, like, crossfaded into, you know, that mountain. All the way up to the warehouse shot at the end. Like, I mean, there are a few movies that have both such an iconic opening and an iconic closing. And that really, from start to finish, are just all, like, A+. plus perfect like shots
0: so we can't can't go we haven't mentioned the music at all
2: well oh, yeah Dan you were listening earlier today I, in fact right? I listened to the entire score today just to, just to get in the right vein and I was thinking about it because it had occurred to me at one point that uh, I actually thought I'd There's a uh, a cue in another film score by James Horner, which I think is is almost clearly an homage to the Williams score in the scene where uh, at the very end the scene with the arc, um, there's this great like dissonant. Like you see all the spirits coming out of the arc and then in one of them comes right up to the camera and then you see it basically turn into this horrific ghost um, and the music turns all discordant mm-hmm. and very jarring, almost, almost reminiscent of the the Psycho theme by Bernard Herrmann. Yeah. Um, and I think that James Horner actually has a scene uh, in, in the movie uh, The Rocketeer. There's a score to that, which also involves Nazis and a Zeppelin. Um, ooh, a Zeppelin. In which uh, Timothy Dalton's villain like jetpacks away, and then he blows up or something. And I think that there's a scene that looks very much in the shot of it, like he's coming right at the camera, and then you see him sort of turn all horrified as he realizes he's not going to get away, and it blows up, and the music changes. And I think that movie, actually, if I recall, was also directed by... Uh, Joe Johnston, who I think was Spielberg's uh, second unit director on a lot of stuff, I don't remember if he worked on Raiders as well. But um, Dan, must everything come back to the Rocketeer with you? Not everything, but many things.
1: <laughs> it, it is a great score. It, it is, and and I, I hate to keep saying the word economical, but but the core of it, it does a lot of different things. But that core theme, the Indiana Jones theme that's famous, is is great. But there's a lot of other great stuff.
2: Oh, the arc theme, Marion's theme. I mean, it's, you know, it is, it vies with the Star Wars movies as Williams' best score, I think, of all time, probably.
1: I think I like it better than the Star Wars scores. That's hard to say. That's a a tough one.
0: It's really, you know, it's, it's, I would say they're on par with each other. They're so perfect. And I think that they really help, especially in these movies, with, they just feel so right and they're so um, just just emotionally on cue that they make the preposterous feel more real right it's somehow the way that's the star wars theme and star wars is clearly the more out there scenario i mean the whole thing is you know laser guns in outer space and, and stuff but it somehow makes this preposterous premise feel real and raiders has absolutely got that you know there's I don't know it's 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 just a fantastic I don't know it's great perfect music and it's the best music of all four movies.
2: Oh yes that's a, that's absolutely true. I mean I think in, it from it's a movie it's so good in the way that you can listen to it from start to finish just the score and have the entire it's like a story the whole thing is just laid out for you. Um, and I think it really all the cues do such a good job of reflecting the various moments. I mean, and punctuating them along with the scene changes. I'm thinking particularly of the um, the scene towards the end where they, are, sorry, in the around the second act, I guess, where he they get out of the well souls, and Sala comes up at some point. They're loading, they're loading it onto a truck, and Harrison Ford goes, "What truck?" And then we have this yeah. cut into the into the beginning of the chase, and the the cue there is just as it's setting it up. I think is just perfect. India. Ellie, anyway, we have no time if you still want the ark. It has been loaded onto a truck for Cairo. Truck? What truck? You can totally hear that same sort of uh, change from this we've we've broken our way out of the well of souls which has this very sort of creepy ominous music into this more fast-paced action music um and i think you know williams manages to run pretty much the whole gamut from from romance to action and back again in in a fantastic score it's just great
1: the the arc theme uh gives me the creeps even now and and it and it, it doesn't even mean just the arc to me it's sort of like this kind of ancient scary old testament wrath of god kind of feeling like don't mess with this it's it would be bad right uh just it's not for people it it plays over sala's line about how perhaps the ark was not meant to be possessed by man (laughs) it's just like it's it's chilling and then um, of course there's the great playback in um in uh, Temple of Doom, where he sees
2: a picture of the... That's oh, uh, Last Crusade.
1: Oh, is that Last Crusade? He's in the catacombs, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. what right. it is, yeah. That's right, yeah, You play that play just the, for a moment. Right. So yeah, kind of, yeah, that was a
2: great, a great little bit. <sighs> yeah. What is that? Ark of the Covenant. The only thing for I sure? don't like
0: about it is that... And they do the same thing in the, uh, when it goes by in the, the, the Crystal Skull one. Right. Uh, when they go by that box, they play the same thing. But at both times, it's cool because I recognize it, and you get that thrill of being clever and a big enough fan to recognize the uh, what's that called when they do that? It's like comes from, term comes from uh, a motif. Yes, a motif for you know. And then, and then there's an instant sadness where you think, oh, this movie's not as good as
1: that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's only the one monkey in Raiders of the Lost Ark as opposed to the tribe of swinging monkeys right. in uh, The Crystal Skull.
2: I maintain that would have been a better movie if – so like Sean Connery's character is afraid of rats. Indiana Jones is afraid of snakes. If, if Sheila Buss' character had been like deathly afraid of monkeys – monkeys why did it have to be monkeys like that that to me would have elevated so that, that movie immediately like that, 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 let me tell you it would have taken it from a very very low rating to a slightly less low rating
1: yeah and, and thank you for reminding me by the way that the last crusade had a zeppelin in it indeed of course that that uh raises it in my estimations uh just there one of the things that's interesting about raiders of the lost ark is that it was the um highly promoted collaboration between Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. George Lucas shares a story credit on Raiders of the Lost Ark as well as a producer credit. He didn't write the screenplay. Um, And this is back, I'll say this is back in the days where you'd see George Lucas's name in the credits and you'd be like, ooh, George Lucas, as opposed to now where it's more like, huh, George Lucas. Uh, But it's interesting that this was a collaboration between these two um, figures from the late 70s who had had incredible success with blockbuster pictures and this this was i mean talk about your setting yourself up for failure right i mean th- how much hype could you get for a movie that was like the return of the great adventure was the right. tagline and it's steven spielberg and george lucas it's star wars close encounters jaws it's all together in this one thing with han solo as the star right and uh you know how how high a bar do you have to set and yet they um, they pulled it off. In fact, more more than perhaps they ever would again. This one they, they really did hit it out of the park. And and whatever Lucas contributed to it, you know, it, it's it's a good contribution because this was a great
2: collaboration. And of course, I think Luke, Lucas tried to block Harrison Ford. I think at first. Um, because he was also, yes, Tom Selleck, in fact, screen tested and was, was almost the, uh, was almost was almost Indiana Jones. I think Lucas didn't want him because he was already tied into Star Wars and they're like, oh, maybe we can get away from that. But I mean, obviously it it would have been a very different movie with Tom Selleck.
0: I don't even know if it's true. It's it, I've never been able to find it actually attributed to him and who knows, maybe somebody else said, but there's one of the quotes I have from Stanley Kubrick is, uh, 90% of directing is casting. And I, I've never been, I don't even think, I, so you can't, don't go around quoting him on that because I, it might be apocryphal. But it rings true, though, that it, it's just the most important part of directing a movie is picking the right people for the roles.
1: Well, when you think about Raiders, you, you, you think about not only Harrison Ford and Karen Allen, but John Rhys-Davies and Denham Elliott. I mean, yeah. it's some, some great actors doing some, some great work. Who plays Belloc? I don't know the guy's name.
2: Oh, Paul Freeman. Paul oh, Freeman, him. and he's yeah. great. Yeah, he's, he's great. He
1: he hits it right right well, on. And,
2: right. And, and and as John said, Tote, the guy who plays Tote, who I could not name for the life of me, but is such a fantastic bad guy. Um, you know, and that and, and you know, it's there's something when he becomes that. a claymation character and <laughs> dies at the end. But there's something to that whole. You know, even picking the. Uh, you know the the actors who are not necessarily A-list names, but are perfect for those those roles that are so important. They, because it's so much, you know, they bring so much to a role which may only be a secondary role, but it it somehow became an iconic part nonetheless, right?
1: Well, and I'll say that I'll give that to Last Crusade, as I think there was a really good casting in Last Crusade, not just Sean Connery. But even like Julian Glover, you know, oh, yeah. there, there's some good there's some good actors in, in that movie, too.
0: Here's, a, here's another good thing to say about Raiders. I mean, if we could go on for three hours on this. We may have to do a sequel.
1: I hope it's better than the Raiders it'll, sequel. It'll never be as good.
0: I, I think you could argue that, that in Raiders, and, and it's a, this, this goes to the story from Lucas and the screenplay, and, and you know, so, so credit to Lucas and, and Larry Kasdan. But, uh, yeah. but the whole thing, everybody is smart. Like there's no like the bad guys, no idiot plot. the bad guys don't do anything stupid and I, I can't, you know I can't say how much that is unlike almost every other movie in the genre you know and, and including the other movies in the Indiana Jones series you know nobody ever does anything that's stupid and Belloc if Belloc is is a perfect example of it. Belloc never really does anything dumb.
1: Eber quotes Gene Siskel, I think, about the, about the complaint about the idiot plot, which is if your plot has to require somebody to do something just outrageously stupid that they shouldn't do, there's something wrong. And I, I don't think I see that in Raiders. I, I, I agree with you.
0: All right. The way that, that Indiana Jones pursues the arc is smart and, you know, Sala is smart. You know, even you know a great example of that is is the the thing you said where, where when he first saw Marion, didn't he thought she was dead? Here's she's alive, and then he thinks it through and realizes well he can't untire because then they'll know he's there. Right? It's smart. It's like he's you know there. I it's like that throughout the whole movie. The only thing you could argue in is dumb, and it's not a character being dumb. It's just like the only. Corner they painted themselves in story wise is the how does indie survive on top of the submarine? <laughs> that's the one. That's yeah. the one time in the whole movie that they painted themselves into a corner.
1: All they need to do is have a have a, like a you know I assume that there's an action scene that we don't see where he like overpowers the guy at the hatch and and tucks himself in under the hatch and
2: there there is a shot of, I think of the filming but I think it may be of a scene that was cut in which he's holding on to the periscope and i can kind of see why they would cut that like he's he's standing on it over like on the water and holding on to the periscope i believe there may be a cut scene of that um, but yes, I can, yeah, that is one of the sort of like, I, I'd rather imagine he fights his way just into the,
1: and hides in the, in the sub. Maybe they never go underwater. That was my thought. You got a sub, you got to take it down, right? I mean, why do you, why are you the U-boat captain if you don't, if you're not, uh, which they actually say dive the U-boats. So. Well,
0: the, here's the thing though. They weren't, they weren't at war yet. World War II was still years away. So it wasn't like they needed to, to submerge. I think you, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what standard operating procedure is for a, uh, for a german sub in 1936 if they always well, went under if it's more they efficient. give
1: the command to dive though they mm-hmm. do in, in in the bad and I, I will say this the german somebody took high school and college german um the germans and raiders speak high school and college german <laughs> it's not the best german in the world
0: in the comic book adaptation he and that you know who knows I think I think that the Marvel guys just got to do that on their own but they had him lashing himself to the periscope with his whip
1: it could be from the screenwriter, or right. uh, some uh, some some sketches that were done that were never shot right
0: either the, either that's either that's what we're supposed to believe and the comic book guys exposed it for us or the comic book guys had the same conversation we're having or like well we got we
1: gotta figure out some kind of way that he could be on top
0: of a sub for a couple you know for this trip
1: the the stupidity of villains and how and how we don't have a lot of that that one of the things i like about how the movie ends is that in the end you know you don't defeat the villains because of their stupidity they defeat themselves really i mean indy doesn't win at the end what happens is that the not the evil of the nazis and the greed of of the nazis and of belloc is what uh, destroys them right and 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 it is that from steven spielberg uh, you know, a Jewish filmmaker making a movie about Old Testament stories that starts out very – with his hero being a non-believer. In the end, that's sort of what happens at the end of this movie, not to get all kind of highfalutin about it. But in the end, it's the it's the evil in their characters that, that lose the day for them, not something that our hero's goodness does. Right. Uh, our hero's goodness is close your eyes. Right. And ride it out. Right. I like that, and 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 I
0: do think that's why it resonates so well. And it's it is in fact what most action, you know, popcorn movies, whatever you want to call them, you know, good guys versus bad guys movies, implicitly want to argue that the good guy's going to win because he's good and good wins over evil. But plot wise, it's always the good guy wins because the bad guy does something stupid or foolish. Uh, whereas this one. It actually is the good guy wins simply because it you know it comes down to actually being good, right? It's this
1: that
2: right. I mean, because the Nazis, the Nazis, they get it right. They get the ark. They're ready. They've they've sort of won right. up until that point.
1: They've taken it to the secret island, but right. they they still pay the price. So uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I guess we liked it. I give it a thumbs up. <laughs> Well, I want to thank uh, both of you, John and Dan, for, for joining me. And we should do this again sometime. This yeah. was a lot of fun.
0: We should have a second. The second one we should be where we talk about everything that's
1: wrong with the other Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a sequel worthy of the original. Right. I I, I would have to watch them again, though. You can seriously—I uh,
0: I, I think we spent like 20 seconds talking about what's wrong with Raiders of the Lost Ark. We could, we could spend four hours talking about what's wrong with the other ones.
1: You know, I actually haven't seen um, Temple of Doom since I saw it like on VHS, right when it came out on VHS oh, after I saw it, it in the theater. The opening is good. The opening I, in China I, I, is I've, good. The first I've ten minutes. I've seen the opening on is cable. Fantastic. Dan and I talked about this on the on this podcast last month. That I've seen the yeah. opening on cable, and up to the point which which I said I love, up to the point where they jump out of the plane, yep. it's actually great. And I, yep. and there's that moment with a nice try, Lao Che, and then it close the door, and Lao Che owns the plane. Right. I love that, and then they j- when they jump out, it's like yeah. yeah. You know
0: that's Dan Aykroyd. Yeah,
1: that, that movie yeah, went it is with Dan you. Aykroyd?
0: Not Lao She, but he's the the. No, but the, he's the guy. Yeah, yeah, the guy who like gets him the the booking on the plane. Yeah, yeah. Them jumping out of that plane is is it 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 is the quality of the whole series. <laughs> it used to be up here, right. and then <laughs> right here as they're jumping out of the plane. Here, there goes. There it goes. There it goes.
2: There it goes. And they pass a shark on the way down. <laughs> <laughs> that that's the crystal shark.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. This was great fun.
1: Yeah, that was a lot of fun.
0: All right, that's it.
1: didn't even get to the debate about who's better boba fett or jango fett <laughs> so we'll have to uh jonas gruber argues uh that it's jango right my son he says guns, right?
0: he's got two guns Ooh, uh,
2: that's a convincing uh, argument
1: nothing nothing made me happier um in in episode two than sure. the uh, boba fett backpack rocket launcher go off which is a reference is that episode too, right? Which is the, yeah. a reference to the the recall to the, the, the toy.
2: toy, yeah, because they wouldn't let you shoot that's it. That's
1: right. That that Class. that's almost I, enough to make me like Jango Fett the best. But I I, I was born in the seventies, so it's got to be Boba. Yeah, Boba's
0: the best. You know what? You know, here's one thing. I know we're talking Indiana Jones. I was just watching Empire Strikes Back with with my boy the other day, and uh when Luke first gets to uh, Bespin, and he's you know, Han has already been frozen. He's been wheeled away. He's coming down the hallway. Boba Fett is with those Bespin guards and they've got Han levitated. They're, they're pushing him down the hallway. Luke sees him, ducks back, waits, and then he goes. And Boba Fett notices had you know never moved, didn't turn his head, but of course he's Boba Fett. He knows there's Luke Skywalker's down there. He's there, he's waiting. He takes a shot at him and almost hits him, almost shoots him right in the face. It like hits the wall right next to his face. Imagine how pissed Darth
1: Vader would have been if Boba Fett would have yeah. just <laughs> shot Luke in the face and killed I him. I didn't pay you for for Skywalker. I paid you for Solo. Right? And Imagine then you got
0: him. Just at all of the what ifs if something had gone slightly. <laughs> In the movies. Just imagine how pissed Darth Vader set this whole
1: thing up, and imagine if Boba Fett shot Luke in the face. I, I assume you've seen the robot chicken Star Wars. Yes, yes. John? yeah, John, because that 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 strikes me as being a bunch of guys who have gone through every what if, like all of us have in Star Wars, and then and then it ended up animating them which is why i love those those two so much is because it is everything that i always ask myself who how do the little black boxes on wheels get around and who's inside them and the answer is there's an there's a mouse with a uh, a flask of alcohol inside
0: <laughs> i also I, I had i had an idea for a short film called vader and son here's the here's the pitch the pitch is um it's it's luke's luke is let's say two years old well maybe one year old he's gotta be i guess more like a baby so it's it's soon after the 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 third movie ended right and uh and you see vader he's in his little uh, meditation chamber and he suddenly thinks about like let's I, I still don't know what the quite the macguffin is but he thinks there's something back home on tatooine from his boyhood maybe it's three PO. right and he decides to go as darth vader to tatooine to get 3po and boom he finds luke cut to some you know like aunt beru saying as he's taking him away like where's where's obi-wan cut to the cantina and there's obi-wan he's just an alcoholic <laughs> and that's how he knows that it's a wretched hive of scum and villainy is that it ends up obi- Wan. Well, what did obi-wan do th- during those 20 years right that's a that's what did what did he what did he do i say he was drinking right so vader takes luke away and uh, takes him to the Emperor, and the Emperor holds him, he's a baby, and says, uh, he can destroy me, I have foreseen it, right? And then all of a sudden, psst, baby baby Luke pees on the Emperor, and while the Emperor's distracted, Vader cuts him down, and now Vader and,
2: and Luke <laughs> rule the galaxy. As father and son. Right, and he's a little baby. That That is the Oscar-winning yeah. short all yeah. over it. I think if Pixar were to do that...
1: so So baby Luke isn't properly diapered? No. He's just, Vader Vader obviously has no idea about how to be a father, so he's just got a naked baby. There's right. no diaper or anything so right. that, that he can just spray right on the Emperor. Right,
0: or maybe like it's like a badly diaper, like a diaper that falls down while the Emperor is holding him. Like I imagine the Emperor holding him sort of by the pits, like in front of him, you know, up in front of him.
1: But he says, is there no like chief of protocol of the Empire who'd be like, oh, Emperor? We- and he's
0: just looking at the baby and he just says, I- he can destroy me. I have foreseen it. And he does, because it's while well, he's distracted, Vader cuts him down.
1: Mm.
2: Out of the mouths of babes.
1: <laughs> Not the mouths, friend.
2: <laughs> Sorry, I don't have any kids. I don't know how no. this works. It's, it could be. I spit bit up on,
0: on, on the Emperor, too. I just think Vader would be a great dad. A little hardcore. He'd certainly be a, a lot of
2: hardcore. fun.
1: would
0: be yeah. a lot of fun. I think you would have a lot of fun. I mean, you know, i would probably pretty strict, but uh, I think there'd be a lot of upside to it.
2: You have failed me for the last time. You did not take out the garbage. I find your lack of bathroom hygiene disturbing. (laughs) Right, but like, or like, imagine this.
0: Imagine you're Luke's, right? So now it's, that happens when Luke is like, what, you know, is nine months old or something like that. Now, you know, a couple years later, Luke's in uh, kindergarten. Now imagine you're Luke's kindergarten teacher, and uh, Vader comes (laughs) in for a (laughs) parent-teacher night.
1: There's too much homework. They shouldn't have homework in kindergarten. (laughs) Right? (laughs) give him a little force around the neck it's
2: an old jedi mind trick this has been the incomparable podcast yes it is finally over visit us at the incomparable.com